Knock, knock, who's there? It is the Has Been Hoops podcast back again, joined by my co-host, Chris. How are you, mate? How you been? Mate, I'm well. I'm busy. It's, uh, it's a good time of year. I love my tennis. I've got it on in the background where, uh, as we record this, Sydney just beat United and we've got the men's Australian Open final on. So, uh, fun time of year. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll jump straight into the NBL and... It'd be, there's been so much that's happened this weekend, um, a lot of upsets, but the number one thing I want to talk about is Fleur McIntyre. She's got an opportunity to be the assistant GM of the Phoenix Mercury. This is massive, huge for Fleur and huge congratulations to her. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's massive and it really is just, again, another, uh, Fantastic story of how the rest of the world's looking at the NBL and how highly it's regarded around the world, and you know, and, and in particular on this occasion, how great a job Fleur's done with the Sydney Kings. Her standing within not only that team but the league, and you know what? It, 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 I was really excited to read, but you know what? There was a little tiny part of me that was disappointed because. You know, she's done her assistant coaching time. The Sydney Kings are struggling. There are a number of head coaching jobs coming up and at some stage we'll have a female head coach in the NBL or in, any, or in a men's league around the world. Uh, she was probably the front runner if there was one here in Australia. I'm not sure knowing the clubs that anyone would have had the courage to have employed her but she would have been the front runner. So a little bit of me, while I was super excited for her, yeah, just that little bit of disappointment as well. Chris, I reckon that the current coach of Sydney will get fired, that Fleur will coach the rest of the season, is my gut feeling. Because uh, we've spoken about it at nausea about the unrealistic expectations of the Sydney Kings, but Fleur is going to stay with them till the end of the season. And um, if you want someone who's got their attention and their respect, Fleur McIntyre has all the players' respect and would play hard for her. And I don't know if you could say the same right now for the current head coach. Um, but huge congrats to Fleur. We wish her all the best over in the WNBA. And... Um, I think it just speaks to the person that she is. The way that she's climbing through the ranks is pretty amazing. Hey, back home, Scott Roth, contract extension through to the 26-27. Um, I think this was a no-brainer for me. Well, how did you see it? Yeah, it had to be. It, it was, I, I suppose going back, I, I, yeah, it was a no-brainer. But what wasn't a no-brainer was hiring Scott Roth in the first place, and I think it took courage to hire him. Um, I think a lot of people knew very quickly that they'd made a fantastic choice. And to have a an inaugural head coach extend is fantastic for the club, fantastic for the fan base. Uh, 
fantastic for Scott and his family. It just gives him that security. You know, he spent a lot of his first couple of seasons away from his family, which and he's spoken publicly about it was, was difficult for him. So to have that security now that his family knows, I'm not sure how much time they'll spend down in Australia, but he has a home there. Uh, they know where he'll be. And we said on last week's pod that we we still think there are only three contenders this year. Now, you know, United, uh, well, Tasmania, one of them, and uh, the Perth Wildcats, of course. But it's, you wouldn't have thought that Tassie would have been in that very top echelon. We, we spoke, and most people spoke the first couple of years, and I was probably top of the list of that they kept overachieving. I don't think they carry that overachieving tag anymore. I just think they're one of the best teams in the NBL. And a a lot of that, of course, has to do with Scott Roth. I think a lot uh, of credit has to go to installing a culture from scratch and the people that they brought in, the people he surrounded himself with, with Mika Bacona, Jared Weeks now there, two really high-character guys uh, that have been teammates of mine. There's no doubt in my mind why they've been successful and what they've been able to do. And Scott Roth has uh, led that charge. Now, um, on Thursday night, I went and watched the Illawarra Hawks play against the Perth Wildcats. And um, a lot of commentary about that Illawarra has got the, the recipe to stopping the Perth Wildcats, but not a whole lot of commentary of how they stopped Bryce Cotton. And so um, first off, off the back of a three-game slide, they go to Perth and wallop Perth. Like it was an absolute demolition of the Wildcats who were on a six or seven-game win streak and then got the job uh, done today against a very uh, plucky New Zealand team that uh, seemed to be getting better and better on the back end as well. Uh, but I want to talk. Time. Yeah, I want to talk about the the defense that they played on Bryce Cotton. And if teams don't follow this recipe for the rest of the season, they are crazy. So first off, everyone assumes that uh, Wani Swakalabulik is their number one and prime defender that they have. They they actually didn't play him on Bryce. They played Lee on on Bryce Cotton because he had a bit more length. What they did with Wani Swakalabulik and with uh, with Froles is Wani uh, Swaka and Froles were almost like free safeties. They were playing off Keanu Pinder and they were playing off Hiram Harris. And Lee's sole responsibility was to just smother him. But if he did catch it, turn him into a driver. And as soon as Bryce Cotton took one dribble... He was running straight into Swakula Bullock. He was running straight into Froling time and time again. And the other aspect of this is Froling, Ulbrick, and Mason Peatling didn't play a drops coverage once, didn't play a, a, a cold or an ice coverage. They just blitzed Bryce Cotton every single time and made him pass the ball and made someone else beat him. To me, that is the, the defensive blueprint that teams need to play until Hiram Harris can make a shot consistently, till Keanu Pinder makes threes consistently. That's how you play the Perth Wildcats. Yeah, when, when you're getting the best player in the competition, you've got to pick your poison and your poison has to be someone else beating you. Uh, yeah, I've often spoken about teams that win out of turn 
do so because they're different. Uh, I refer to the Hawthorne Footy Club with their rolling zone in the AFL. Uh, to the Western Bulldogs, yeah, that, that quick hand flick pass in the AFL, they were different. They, weren't the, they probably weren't the best team each year, but they were different. And I think to beat teams that have superior talent to you in any sport, you need to force them to beat you in a different way than what they're accustomed to beating most teams on any given night. We see it in the NBA all the time. Uh, as soon as the playoffs roll around and it's a seven-game series, they will absolutely hone in on weaknesses. They will dare non-shooters to shoot. They will absolutely go at and, and isolate poor defenders. And we need to see more of that in the NBL. To your point about the drops, um, I get it in the NBA, that yeah, the no-zone rule. Um, you can't just load up and have a foot in the paint and stand there and, and, and take up driving lanes. You need to give those driving lanes and, and the guards over there are so quick and so talented. They're the best in the world that, that I understand. Drops is about reducing shooting percentages. Yeah, the NBL uh, doesn't... It, it, everyone here in the NBL does it because everyone else is doing it. And so the fact that Illawarra aren't running drops it essentially makes them different and it gives Bryce Cotton a different look. The NBL guards aren't so good that every team needs to drop and their bigs, so NBL bigs aren't so slow in a defensive liability that they should have to. So I just think I, as a big, I see that whole strategy as a cop-out when you're running it as your primary coverage to, as a change-up Absolutely, but not as a one where you're almost raising the white flag and saying, hey, you're too good, I'm just going to meet you at the rim and make you shoot twos. Yeah, the other thing that was really apparent with this Illawarra team was that they love their coach because the passion that they played with was uh, enthusiasm and uh, was just off the charts. The other thing that I noticed and being different, they went into the post late in the game instead of, keep bombing yep. away from threes. They use Clark and they use Froling at the rim and continually got to the foul line or got easy baskets on the front of the rim. I really like what Illawarra is doing at the moment. Um, an indifferent weekend for the Sydney Kings. Um, I, obviously a great bounce back today against Melbourne United, but in the log jam that they currently find themselves, three through to nine, the loss against South East Melbourne, who had no Williams, no Brown, no Nader, no uh, Matt Kenyon, no Craig Moller. That, that's four, four of your starters uh, and one guy that came in to start. And then, and lost to him. That, 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 that was as poor a game as I've seen. And... I've heard Andrew Bogut speak publicly about you know, how poorly they've played and the intent of the team. That that was worse again. And often when an owner and an owner who knows basketball speaks, so, you know, the, the team hears it and they respond, but they responded the other way. Um, you said at the start of this one that you don't think, you, you, you think there'll be a coaching change and Fleur will coach out the season and maybe there will, but what you see on coach's face is that he looks under pressure and he looks panicked. Uh, the Kings played very well today. They, they were individually brilliant. I, I thought Denzel Valentine made some fantastic plays in the fourth quarter. Jalen Adams was great early. 
Um, yeah, to your point, United, when they started coming back, were daring Sean Bruce to shoot the three. They gave him that, and he missed a number as Melbourne yeah, cut the margin to three, but yeah, he then actually went and made one. But um, that maybe if they had a loss that game, it may have happened. But to, to tie it up, it's especially, let's say that that happens. Let, let's say that he gets fired. Let's say that Fleur coaches this season then takes off to be assistant GM at the Phoenix, at the Mercury, sorry, in Phoenix. Brian Gorgian, it, it has to be. It, the, the, the stars are aligning for the Sydney Kings to bring Brian Gorgian back. Absolutely. Uh, I, I keep laughing at the whole Adelaide thing. Uh, I think Illawarra, even with Tatum going so well, I think Illawarra would open him up, welcome him back with open arms. But... I believe Matt Logan said that deal's pretty imminent this week coming, but Gorge, Gorge would go back to Sydney, I believe. I think Gorge uh, playing in that sort of environment with 13,000 people, that's all he wanted in Sydney the entire time that he was coaching there before. And talk about a guy who uh, can take that to the next level um, as far as pumping the crowd up as well. Uh, Gorge would be fantastic there. So watch this space, I guess, with the Sydney Kings. Um, did you see Aaron Baines's screen on Ian Clark? Yeah, I did. I did. And I, I, I hate sitting on the fence, but he meant to hit him. He meant to get him. But at the same time, he was penalised for being big and strong. Um, well, he yeah, wasn't penalised because he got away with it. This is true. It's a good point. Um, did they, they call it a foul though or no? No, no. no they didn't okay. call it a foul. I, I thought it was a foul. I, I think it should have been a moving screen. Um, I, so he wasn't penalised in this situation. Um, I, agree, I agree with that. My but, but, my issue is the clickbait from the NBL right, asking, and, should, he, the, should he be cited? Like, can, can you imagine how that, with everything the NBL does, in, and they do it so well, how unprofessional and bush league is it for the league itself, its own social media account, to come out and ask the public if one of its players should be suspended or cited? Yeah, 10 steps forward and then a massive jump backwards. And that whoever wrote that in the NBL, whoever's in charge of social media, you need to be removed and go back to F-grade local football because that's the sort of Bush League commentary that a team like that deserves, not the National Basketball League. I I was sitting there in shock. I was reading it and going, surely this is not. This is, this is not as bad as us naming our MVP on Twitter at midnight. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Brian Conklin, but but it's, it's right up there as... Bad. It's like the six. It's like the sixteen-year-old girl putting a face full of makeup on, standing in front of the mirror, putting a photo on social media, and say, "How do I look?" Yeah, you know, it's so immature. Grow up, MBL. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So a reference I didn't think would get in, but fair enough. Fair enough. I did say that was the last thing we were going to talk about, but there is actually one other. And a fairly decent news coming out of it is an agreement between the NBL and the Japanese 
uh, B-League. Um, initial thoughts to this? I, I just look mm-hmm. at it as a league that steals our best players. Um, I, it's probably another fast-growing uh, competition outside of the NBA. Um, but what did you make of it or in, the initial press release that came it, out this morning? I mean, it's a memorandum of understanding. Nothing's happened yet. Essentially, the press conference says we're going to have a chat. But in principle, what it does is it gives so many more eyeballs potentially to the league itself, to league partners, to league sponsors. There'd be an injection of funds into the league uh, to commercialise it even more. So I guess looking at it from that perspective... The, the dollars that potentially could come into the league via Asian sponsorship would be huge. That, that can only be good for the league, good for the players, good for the salary cap, good for the sustainability of the, of the league. How that looks, and they're talking pre-season at the moment, to begin with, I, I guess it's an awareness, isn't it? It's putting the NBL on the map. So, uh, so here's, here's what the agreement will explore. The feasibility of Japanese BLG teams competing in the NBL preseason uh, competitions, the viability of a team from Japan participating in the NBL, I think that's a stretch at the moment, youth clubs teams uh, from Japan taking part in competitions in Australia, NBL teams travelling to Japan to compete in the BLG preseason, Involvement of BLG referees and officials in the NBL preseason. That can't be any worse than what we're seeing right now. BLG teams participating in community events, activations, and coaching clinics. I think that's just filling up your SEEK uh, application. Uh, and junior basketball clubs from Australia and Japan participating in tournaments held in each country. So there's a little bit there. It's a bit of fluff there. If There's a lot a... of fluff, but, but, but you know what? It's... The thing I think is that there's a lot of money in education in Australia. Um, I would imagine a lot of those junior teams and youth tournaments and those sort of things would be where the real opportunity lies for hundreds of thousands of people uh, to have eyes on, again, the, the league, but through Japanese students enrolling in, in Australian schools universities, uh, yeah. perhaps vice versa as well. So there's always a bigger play. You know, Larry didn't buy the Tasmania Jack Jumpers to profit off the club. He bought it as a land deal to build a hotel and, and the entertainment centre and he'll end up giving or selling the team, but he'll keep the hotel. This is a much, much bigger deal for the companies in and around the NBL than it is for the NBL itself, make no mistake. You were around, and I, I played around the year that the Singapore Slingers were in the competition. That was a hell of a trip. <laughs> to, the to the great part was they were so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were terrible. Um, it's a long trip. Um, I do like that. I, I would imagine they would have to take a leaf out of the Darwin Salties and what they're doing in the NBL 1 where instead of doubleheader weekends in the NBL, in the NBL 1, Darwin play three games, so they'll play Friday, Saturday, Sunday to reduce the amount they travel. Um, but I would imagine that when, yeah, there'll, there'll be long road trips. When teams go, surely you'd have to play twice. You, you might travel two teams over, you play 
one team might play on a, a Friday, Sunday, the other team might play Saturday, Monday. I don't know. But you're right, the, the travel time and to do that multiple times in a year is expensive. It's hard on the playing group. So they'd have to find a way that when you land there, you get all your games out of the way. And when, if, if not when, if a Japanese team came to Australia, yeah. I think they'd find, you'd find they'd stay for a block of time and get a lot of their games out of the way in one block. Don't worry about the doomsday double. Imagine the doomsday triple uh, where you go from New Zealand to Adelaide oh. to Perth on the way home. Um, moving over to the NBA, uh, Adrian Griffin out of the Milwaukee Bucks, Doc Rivers in. How's that one? That, that... The interesting side note to this, Trevor Gleeson just went to Milwaukee to join Adrian yeah, Griffin. So it's, does it's, that it's mean he's on his way? Well. Is he going to get paid out again? So he gets paid out by Toronto. Tell you uh, what, a good, good, good on him if he does. Paid. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what happens there. Um, he'd have to sign the contract. Uh, but, but it was an interesting one, wasn't it? And most people are speaking about, you must be close to the road there, were they? Most people are speaking about having one of the best records in the East. Record in the amount of 43 games, I think he coached. But you know as well the, as I... In the East. You know as well as I that there must have been more behind closed doors. That there's a lack of confidence from the playing group. I think... Every year you've got Giannis and Dame Lillard on the same team. You have to be in win-now mode. You have to do everything to win a championship. And I think, from what I've heard in their heart of hearts, the ownership group, the club management knew that if they got into a seven-game series against Boston, if they got into one against Miami, against Eric Spolstra, uh, the coaching may very well be the difference. Now, bringing in Doc Rivers is interesting because he doesn't have an impeccable playoff coaching record. In fact, it's poor. But clearly there's a greater sense of confidence that he can connect with Giannis and Dame Lillard and get the best out of them and have the strategic nous as a head coach who's been through it before to guide a team capable of beating anyone and giving them the best chance to do that. So it was an interesting one. Uh, you'd feel hard done by, but again, he, once he stops being pissed off in a couple of weeks, he's getting paid a lot of money to sit there and do whatever it is he wants to do. So he'll be okay. I I hate this hire of Doc Rivers. <laughs> Absolutely you hate, hate it. it. I I hate it. Um, if they needed someone, they needed a defensive-minded coach uh, to come in. And, and be able to, because offense isn't their issue. It's the defensive end. And I know that starts with with Dame and his inability to be able to guard the ball. Um, and obviously you've been, uh, had the luxury of having Drew Holiday there. But uh, I believe the hiring of Doc Rivers has made Boston Celtics even more of a favorite now than what they were before. Because I just, I, do I just you, don't I, see Doc I, Rivers as a good coach. I, I, I don't, and take everything away. There's more going on. A firing like that doesn't happen unless there's more going on. So even if this hiring eliminates something that was going on behind closed doors, and it clearly must, it has to make them 
a more cohesive team and one that's probably closer to being on the same page. Clearly that didn't that clearly that wasn't happening. So whether it's Doc Rivers or someone yeah, else, I guess, well, is my point. But geez, yet halfway through an NBA season, great coaches have jobs. There's not a bunch of great coaches just how long did he sign for? I, I missed the part with how long he signed for. Had to have uh, been multi year. I'm not sure, but any time anytime that Doc Rivers signs on as coach, I think that's hey, a bad bad idea. You listen you listen you listen to the Bill Simmons podcast. Um I've actually really enjoyed listening to Doc the, the Doc Rivers episodes when he gets in and they do deep dives into certain elements of the NBA. And I mean, it's almost the pathway to being a coach now isn't getting the media, tell everybody what you know about basketball and convince the owners that you can apply it. Um, you know, he's done a little bit of media. The Bill Simmons stuff was great. But if you get a chance or anyone who's listening gets a chance, go back and have a listen. And for those of you who, like you were, though, and I know you're not going to change your mind, but you might soften it a little bit if you hear some of the Bill Simmons episodes that he was a part of. I've I li- I've listened to it, and the only thing that went through my head as I was listening to it is, why didn't you adopt any of these philosophies while you were coaching? A lot of his, when it gets tough, is he just does blank stares and doesn't know what to do except for the whole rah-rah, come on, guys. Like, there, there is no philosophy of coaching when it comes into a finals for Doc Rivers. The only reason he won one at Boston is because he had a big four. And I'll, I'll stay with that for as long as I am still standing. Doc Rivers is not a good coach, and he is just someone that has had opportunities time and time and again. He failed at the Clippers. Uh, he's failed at Philly. He's not taking this Milwaukee team anywhere, but that's just my my perspective on it. Um, it's been a pretty massive week as far as performances go in the NBA, um, and we'll touch on every one of them individually. But Luca with seventy three, uh, Embiid with seventy, Booker with sixty five, and Carl Anthony Towns with sixty. All in the last couple of days. <laughs> Uh, this is just incredible what we're seeing right now. I, I wrote on Twitter, it was one of those hold my beer kind of weeks. Yeah, you know, okay, Kat, you've had 60. You know, Joel Embiid, he, he, okay, I'll see you 60, I'll raise you 70. Then you turn on the TV and I was down at the pub and I was just checking the scores. I was like, shit, I've got to turn these two games on. Devin Booker had 31 in the first 13 minutes and Luca had 40 at halftime. And you just watch some of the shot making and the way they defend. Now, the difference is, let's not get too far into this, but the, the shot making they, and the way that they absolutely denied or tried to deny Luca the ball and the defensive strategies, as you mentioned before, that they tried to implement. But just absolutely incredible games. The, the thing I did find interesting was you get a little bit of a sense for how for what that player's standing is within the group. I thought out of all four, the team that was least engaged with their teammates' success was the Minnesota Timberwolves. They <laughs> weren't as joyous or as behind Carl Anthony Towns. And in fact, Cat got dragged in the fourth quarter for his poor 
defensive performance in that game, which opens up a whole other thread because, I mean, if you're a coach and you're trying to end the season with the best record in the West, you got a guy on in the high 50s and playing great. Make your point after the game. You don't have to bench him and cost perhaps cost the team the game. Yeah, what Cat had, I think, three points in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Luca only had eight, but make your point after the game, win the game first and coach after the game. But let's get back to the positive part of it. Just watching those performances and then seeing the reaction from some of their peers. You saw the reaction of Kevin Durant when he came into the press conference and they told him Cat had 60 and I think they told him Embiid had 70. But he was he almost let his guard down and became a fan again. The fun part was I guess he got a first-hand look at Devin Booker uh, have 65 just a couple of nights later. But, um, yeah, massive week. It was, it was just fun. It was a fun week. Um, what what did you the, make of him? That it shows how much uh, plus minuses don't really matter. Carl <laughs> uh, Anthony Towns had 60 points and had a plus minus of zero. And Devin Booker had a plus minus on a 65-point performance of a plus one. And I think that just justifies uh, how much plus minuses can be blown out of the water from time to time. Um, you do notice. You do notice with all of them, they go record seeking. The, the winning the game almost oh, yeah. becomes secondary in every single one. The the one that I did enjoy was Luca. Luca still passed the ball down the stretch, and he did get frustrated. And I think it was was it Josh Green that missed the layup. I think. Gave Josh Green a wide-open layup when he got almost quadruple teamed in the paint. Josh missed a bunny. They went down and scored, and you saw Luca's frustration. And then he, credit to him, one, one thing Doncic did do is towards the end of the game, down the stretch with a game on the line and high 60s points, he got on the rim, which at that level of fatigue, yeah. that's his habit. I thought that part was really impressive. He did have 12 assists in that game from memory as well. So it shows you what sort of impact that he had uh, in that game. Another pretty cool game that was today was the Lakers versus the Warriors, uh, double OT. LeBron James is amazing. Um, I know it's a double OT game, but had a career high in rebounds. So he had 36, 20 and 12 today. Uh, and Steph Curry had 46 and 7. Is it ridiculous that LeBron James is still doing what he's doing at his age at this level? Of course it is. Of course it is. The, the greatest thing about LeBron and the, the probably the one thing that I admire on top of all the skill stuff is his longevity. And as you just say, I marvel at the fact he's able to have performance. I mean, shit, you tried to play NBL 1 at 40 years old and you know how that feels. He's trying to play NBA games as he nears 40. Um, you know, it, and having games like that where he's still the man, it, it's incredible. And I still chuckle, you know, um, Darvin Ham at the start of the season made very public the, the notion that LeBron was going to be on a minutes restriction this year. That lasted two games. Um, again, it, it, there's got to be that element where just following on from the, the topic we were just on with those individual performances. There's a lot of ego in, in the NBA and 
the stars of the league see the publicity, they see the, the, the social media interaction, individually brilliant performances get, like the ones we just mentioned. And you best believe when they get a sniff of it early in the game, they're going to go chasing something like that because they want their spotlight as well. They want their game. Um, LeBron certainly had that today. I mean, what, you know, Steph Curry off, off the top of my head, not off the top of my head because I just got the box score in front of me. 46 points, you know, three rebounds, seven assists. Um, just big, big games from superstars of the league. And I'll tell you what, it's getting dire for the Warriors. <laughs> Every game they lose, it's it's another step and a big step, almost a jump closer to the end of a dynasty. Well, it, what I like, what I like to see is Steph Curry and that frustration walking off the court and ripping his jersey. Is that frustrated with what's going on right now? I'd expect that the Warriors would be probably the biggest movers in the uh, trade deadline. Um, I can't. I think they will get off Green, even though he's probably earn the right to be a warrior for life. I think they'll try and trade him. I think they'll try and trade Wiggins. And you, I think they'll explore Clay Thompson. I think the only person that's not touchable is Steph at the moment. And um, they'll, they they'll have to make a change to their roster if they want to try and make the play in. Uh, but at the moment, they look so far off it. It's not even funny. Kaminga's um, another one. And just before star. we get off the before hang on, before we get off the Warriors... I enjoyed listening to Andrew Bogut's perspective and he has a closer, has had a closer look into that club and knows more people in it than anyone. And Steve Kerr is really polarising at the moment. There, there are a lot of people who celebrate the championships. There are also others who think that, and I disagree completely with this notion that any coach could have won with that, with that roster. I think it takes a lot of skill and the right personality and skill set to manage that group. But over the last couple of years, there's been a frustration from young players in the group. You know, Kaminga has probably been the most vocal, but the, the talk about the lack of development, the less opportunity for the draft picks coming into the Warriors than what they would have received elsewhere. But I guess Kerr, yeah, the, the championship they won two years ago probably wouldn't have occurred in Bogut's mind if Steve Kerr and the Warriors had have invested more heavily in their youth and, and the next generation two years ago. But so, uh, I mean, where, where do you sit on that? How, how would you rate Steve Kerr as a coach, A, for the championships he's won, but B, also considering the perspective of the young draft picks coming into the club now that they're not winning games of basketball? Well, is Greg Popovich all of a sudden a bad coach just because he's not winning with Tim Duncan and uh, Parker and, and Ginobili? I still think that he's a, a, a good coach. Um, what Steve Kerr did was he changed the way that people played basketball. He, along with Steph and Clay, changed the way that people played basketball. Um, uh, I don't think he's a bad coach at all. I think... Uh, teams uh, obviously have built a way to try and defeat the Warriors and the Warriors are getting older and a little bit slower and <laughs> it, it, it's human nature. Um, so 
Steve Kerr to me is still a fantastic coach. He's been fantastic in the NBA for a long period of time, not only as a role player for the Bulls, doing his work as a GM, now as a coach. Um, yeah, I, I've got nothing bad to say about Steve Kerr. Even team, you, you wouldn't think that a guy gets to coach Team USA if he's a bad coach. And I agree, 100%. That's where I leave it. Me too. Um, Good. All-star all game. Um, starters have been announced uh, for the West. Luca in his fifth appearance. KD in his 14th. Uh, Joker in his sixth. SGA in his second. And LeBron James for his 20th appearance in an all-star game, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, Lillard with his eighth. Tatum with his fifth Embiid with his seventh, Halliburton with his second, and Giannis with his eighth. Um, biggest snub in that for you, mine off the top of my head is Jalen Brunson. Yeah, uh, you got me. Same. From the Knicks. Da- Damian Lillard shouldn't be an all-star starter this year. Uh, I agree. He's, and this is what happens when people vote historically, when there are massive voting pools on certain teams or in certain countries and the fans have 50% of the vote. Uh, mm-hmm. Jalen Brunson has had a better year than Damian Lillard. So he's the one. I think the West picked itself. Um, well, I, yeah, West, it was interesting. I mean, and, and credit where it's due with that exact point that the fans who voted in Shea Gilgis Alexander over Steph Curry because the historical vote could have quite clearly gone to Steph Curry and it didn't. So I think they got it right in the West. Uh, the one yeah, is Brunson for me in the East. The one in the West for me that could have changed is uh, Durant out and Anthony Edwards in because I think he's been really, really good this year. Uh, that's the only one in the West that could have been considered. Um, last point before we wrap this one up, Tyrese Proctor. Um, hit the game-winning free throws today. He's averaging 17.5 over his last four games after coming back from injury. Oh, the ceiling's high for this kid. Really, really high. Not only, he'll, I think he'll work his way up the draft board again, um, but looking long-term, a shot creator for the Boomers. Uh, out of that point <laughs> yeah. guard spot. Um, I just think... He's got a huge future and he's doing – obviously, you don't get to juke by accident. And uh, I'm uh, really enjoying his level of play uh, since he's been back and, and the way that he's finding him, his way into games. I saw him play in person at Madison Square Garden last year against the University of Texas. And the game slows down for him. He's one of those guys that – has a lot of time when he's got the ball in his hands. Uh, I thought the choice he made not to declare last year was wise. Uh, I've met him. I've met his family. Um, They seem to have surrounded themselves with the right people. And that at this stage, and it sounds like a ridiculous thing to consider, is really, really important for someone who's going to step into the NBA when, when they do. They'll have the right people around them. Um, he's a lottery pick. He's, he's going to be a lottery this year. I know he's. Pro- I don't think he's listed there in most mock drafts this year. 
he's a lottery pick, especially in a year like this. Um, what does it look like for the Boomers? Uh, I think the minute these Olympic Games are done and Paddy Mills hangs up the boots, there's Tyrese Proctor walking in the door. The other kid in college that's making a name for himself is Furphy at the moment at Kansas. He's had a couple great games. I think he had another 15 points today. Shoot the ball quite well as well. Um, I remember uh, Tommy Shepard, uh, who was the outgoing uh, president at the Washington Wizards. Um, he came to Australia and he just said, this Furphy kid's going to be something special. Uh, and he spotted about or almost 12 months ago now, um, or not quite, six months ago maybe. And he's making a name for himself. There's a lot of calls for him being freshman of the year in the Big 12, which is a great sign for Australian basketball. Another young, talented Aussie uh, doing great things in college basketball. And it's funny, uh, obviously, I went to college. Uh, you didn't go to college. The, there's no right avenue for someone, whether it's the next star program, whether it's going to college. Um, I, I just think it's great that there's so many options now for Australian kids to do it the way that they want to do it. Um, Tui was one that could have gone to Gonzaga, ends up uh, decommitting and then going to the Sydney Kings. His game's dropped off of late, but this is what happens with guys these age, this age. It, there's going to be a lot that plays out over the next couple of months. And I think that Tui will refind his form and be okay. So a lot of good talent. Anything else for you, mate, before we run? No, up? mate, no, that's it. It's uh, It's been interesting, I guess, just to go back to the NBL. I, a, lot of, I, a point I forgot to mention when you're talking NBL and Melbourne United. Every time the Australian Open rolls in a town, United are on the road. So there's been a bit of commentary about how they've battled a bit. Um, just wait till they get home, a couple of home games to, to finish off the season. I still think they're fine. I still think they deserve to be championship favourites. So the, the loss to Sydney didn't bother me as much as anyone else. The Australian Open takes over the world here in Melbourne and United find themselves in a lot of airports, buses and hotels over the month of January. So uh, I think they'll just be fine. But uh, that's it for me, mate. We've, um, we'll, uh, a little bit of what I do, I want to do a little, little bit of a shout-out to Jed who, who puts these online and uploads them and gets them all so we can get them. Listen, he does a lot of work at the Australian Open and sits up into the absolute latest of hours working uh, for W Sports and Media and, and working for some of the players at the tennis. And Jed, mate, you probably don't even get to listen to these this late. You probably just press upload and, and, and do what you do. But we appreciate the time, especially this time of year, mate. I know we're keeping you awake late and a bit of a shout-out for Jed, mate. But uh, that's it for me. Uh Another good one, mate. We'll, uh, we'll speak to you in a week. No worries, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you later. Knock, knock.